0: Welcome to Lessons in Leadership. We are honored to be joined by Evan Drellick, who is the author of a compelling, important book. While it's about baseball, it's also about leadership and ethics and culture. He's the author of Winning Fixes Everything, Baseball's Biggest Minds Created Sports' Biggest Mess. Evan, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me, Steve. Now, I said this right before we got on the air. I'm a Yankee fan, hardcore. The Houston Astros the Yankees, a very big series, a little cheating going on. Could you set the context for your reporting in this book, what it has to do with the Astros, the cheating scandal that the Astros apparently still don't admit, and what the heck it has to do with the larger picture of Major League Baseball? Loaded question. I right now Go ahead.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Even when I speak to non-business focused audiences, I I do say that this is a management culture book with the baseball setting. There's a cover of a baseball on the cover, Uh, the picture of of a baseball on the cover. But, you know, it's really about the front office and the operation of a baseball team. And we had this major event happen, this famous cheating scandal. Now, the 2017 Astros were cheating. Uh, They won the World Series that year. And I was actually, along with a colleague, uh, the first reporter to break the story of them cheating. And I and I had covered the team in person. And, and so I set out to write a book about how did we get here? How did we arrive at a point that you had this massive scandal where major figures in the sport, top executives are fired? Um, and it's really a 10-year a or even longer story to understand the set of factors, what was going on systemically in baseball, as well as inside the Astros management culture to bring us to this cheating scandal. Hey, Mary, do you know how they were cheating?
2: Uh, yes, right? Because he didn't want to take his shirt off. He had the wire, right? All Mary, that other fun but stuff.
0: But what was, what was going on, Mary?
2: Uh, you explain it, Steve. You could explain it better than me.
0: So here they, here, if I have this wrong, Evan, correct me. They've got cameras where you're not supposed to have cameras. The camera is looking at the catcher calling signals. They're watching the pitches so they can figure out what number the catcher's calling and predict the pitch. The Astro batters are aware of the pitch coming. Look at that advantage. I went one for 16 playing baseball at JV, which is why I made, made, never made the varsity. I did. If I knew that curveball was coming, I might have hung in there sooner. They're cheating. And then, Mary, they're banging a drum.
2: Oh, yeah, yep. I was going to say that part, too. Yeah.
0: And that drum and the number of hits on the drum, Evan, if I have this wrong, tells the batter, the Astros batter, what pitch is coming. That's insanity. And how long was that going on?
1: Yeah, so this is at home during the 2017 season. You basically described it right. They did have a camera in center field. Having the camera alone at that time was actually legal, but the usage of it was not. So the camera fed to a television monitor that was very close to where the Astros sit during games, the dugout, and they had a... They had a standard garbage can, kind of large, dark green plastic garbage can there that they're, they're out of sight of the field, but very close to the field. They would hit, hit it with a baseball bat, and that would signal to the hitter what was coming. Uh, you know, and if if there was no bang on the garbage can, it meant a fastball. If there was one bang, it meant a curveball. If it was two, it meant a, a different pitch, usually a change up, some sort of off-speed pitch. And you know, this is using electronics uh, entirely off the field to influence what we think is, you know, an on-the-level, fair competition on the field. And and that, you know, it's it's beyond the pale for most people who enjoy competitive sports. It, you're supposed to be competing on the field, not off the field. So Mary, who's a huge hockey fan, uh,
0: appreciates this because she also said this. Jose Altuve of the Astros is coming around. He's going around third base, and they're about to congratulate him. He's like, don't take my shirt off. Don't take
2: my
1: shirt <laughs> off. <laughs> because so this- what was the- Evan, what was going on underneath his shirt? So, yeah, there was a lot of speculation and rumors that, that, well, does he have a buzzer? Does he have some sort of electronic device that he's wearing on to let him know what pitch was coming? I didn't find evidence of that. Major League Baseball did not find evidence of that. So, that's never been a confirmed thing. Uh, But it was, you know, this happens uh, right around the time we break the story of what they'd done two years earlier. So, so, it's it's a conspiracy theory at this point it is not proven but yeah people speculate and believe that he could have been doing something even worse than that garbage can scheme
0: before mary jumps in what the heck does all of this the astros what they did major league baseball how they handled it from a managerial leadership point of view what does this have to do with
1: leadership and culture I I was an English major, I, and and so I, I I hesitate to declare myself any sort of business expert, but I did spend a lot of time talking to people about the way the organization was run and and decisions that were made and 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 how they operate. If you go back to the origin of this management group that that uh, under which this cheating scandal grew, you had an ex McKinsey consultant brought in by an owner who was a first time owner in the sport. Had a lot of success outside of baseball that had no experience in baseball, and they set out to create this really cost efficient operation built on the pr- principles of the outside business world. Sounds good, it, it, it's not unreasonable. More than that, they became incredibly bottom line focused. It was really about wins and making money, which, yes, are naturally two, two goals for a baseball team, but they didn't focus really on anything else there was no focus on compliance there was no focus on uh ethics Ethics. same thing Uh, one of the people i spoke to for the book is the dean of uh, rice university's business school fellow named peter rodriguez he studies corruption in business settings i think there is something of an analog between what happens in sports and business settings not perfect but you can start to understand um, you know how do we arrive at, at at a point where where people are are uh, willing to break the rules? And his point was that often in environments where there could be rule breaking or there could be ethical violations, it is on leadership, be that the general manager of the team or in this case maybe centrally at baseball's office, uh, the commissioner's office, to really get in front of that with people. You do then, have to de- You have to deliver yeah. a message of. Um, We know you could have temptation here to cheat and we expect you to behave in X, Y, Z ways as opposed to sitting there and assuming that people are just going to know, oh, we shouldn't break the rules. There was none of that in Houston.
0: Mary, as you jump in here, we use a phrase on Lessons in Leadership in our seminars. It's called artful confrontation. Whether it's artful or not, you must confront a situation that is a problem because it ain't going away by itself. Go ahead, Mary.
2: Yeah, Evan, I want to talk a little bit about trust. And leadership. And for any young adults, and I watch almost every Yankees game now with my dad and my husband and my my son, Joey, and after every pitcher comes off, we know you see them, they're checking the hands, they're double checking the glove. The other day they had, you know, Nasty Nestor, you know, Sharpie out the 44 on his glove c- c- glove because it could be a distraction. What message are we sending the young adults today that we literally need to be policing are athletes we need to be double checking that there's no sticky stuff i remember last season the guy with the shiny ears the pitcher and you know why were his ears so sweaty and shiny and they were checking his ears for 10 minutes
0: i love the yankees but come on he had some yeah the spider attack yeah exactly because he's just
2: as good without it but i just want to talk a little bit about trust and leadership because it does translate to business because business leaders are cutting corners they're doing what it takes where is that line between trust and leadership, and what message is it sending? I know it's a loaded question.
1: Yeah, I, I don't. I don't uh, mean to be too bleak about it, but people are always going to try to get ahead. People are always going to try to find an advantage. Um, they're going to try to justify their behavior. Well, this guy is using sticky stuff to enhance his pitches, so uh, you know I can do the same. The, when you actually said trust, the first thing that came to my mind is about the the organizational need to create buy-in and trust, such that you can prevent these types of things from happening once they get going. Um, the In the case of the Astros, there was very little trust between the general manager and the field manager, the players and the front office operation. There were various ways, really on kind of the business side where the front office tried to take advantage of and, and frankly screw over players in different ways. And so what happens? What happens when you, in the middle of the baseball season, drop in McKinsey and company, on on not your your business operation but your baseball operation Mackenzie, the consultants
0: came in and they were helping to manage this team
1: right you know they were literally evaluating what manager a.j hinch was doing so if you're manager a.j hinch you're the field manager you're the guy in charge of that dugout and those players you have your boss jeff luno dropping in these consultants on you in the middle of the season when you have this cheating scheme unfolding do you think you're going to stand there if you're a.j hinch and go you know what I trust my boss here. I'm gonna bring it to him and I'm gonna get ahead of this. No, the whole operation was so bent on always being 20% better, always being 20% better. That can deliver results. And in Houston, it did deliver results. Did they ever admit? It, I'm sorry, we got a time issue here. Did the Astros ever admit to cheating? Yes. Uh, it depends on the individual, but yes, the, the overall the commissioner's office found. Uh, that they cheated we found that they cheated and players acknowledged it not every player but yes players have acknowledged it. does winning fix everything I don't think so but I hope people read the book and answer that question for themselves
0: yeah the reviews of this book are absolutely terrific and um are you in New York these days yes I live in Queens yep are you in fact I mean I said I'm a Yankee fan do you acknowledge being a Met fan
1: yeah, you know, I journalistically, I think you go back decades ago, you're supposed to hide those things. I, have no, I, I am not currently a Mets fan. I don't have a rooting interest today. I grew right. up a Mets fan. Why am I a baseball reporter? Because I love the Mets, and I wanted to write about baseball.
0: In spite of that, this is really still a good segment. We appreciate that. <laughs> Listen, Evan, it's a great book. I've enjoyed it. The name of the book is Winning Fixes Everything, How Baseball's Brightest Minds Created Sports' Biggest Mess. Evan, great job, and we appreciate you being with us. Thanks, Steve. You guys stay with us, we'll right back. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is made possible by the Busino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, the North Ward Center, the New Jersey Sharing Network, Delta Dental of New Jersey, Fedway Associates Inc., Veolia, Resourcing the World, Choose New Jersey and, Seton Hall University showing the world what great minds can do since 1856.
2: This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to Stand-Deliver.com. That's Stand-Deliver.com.
0: Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Atabato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine. CIA NJ and Commerce Magazine, and Meadowlands Chamber celebrating 50 years of building connections and driving business growth. Most people don't think about where their water comes from, but we do. Veolia, more than water, resourcing the world. We're honored to be joined by Shanae Harris, Vice President, Social Responsibility and President of the Prudential Foundation. Good to see you, Shanae.
3: Great to see you, Steve.
0: We will put up the information about Prudential Foundation, one of our longtime supporters of programming, particularly focused on the city of Newark and its citizens and the needs of the citizens of Newark. Prudential Foundation's mission is?
3: Well, our mission is really to provide economic opportunity, particularly for those who have not had that opportunity or have had barriers to creating that opportunity, and it's really centered around our purpose. We believe as a company deeply that financial security should be within reach for everyone, so our philanthropic work really helps to um, allow Prudential to realize that purpose.
0: And you grew up in Newark?
3: Yes, yes, Newark native.
0: Yeah, same here. Um, By the way, what neighborhood were you?
3: Born in... The North Ward um, grew up in Balesburg, and my family currently lives in the Central Ward. So I have you, all... you
0: got you got three of the five wards covered. <laughs> so Shanae, let me ask you this: To what degree? Again, this is a leadership focus, but also very much focused on the impact uh, that you and your colleagues are having in Newark. To what degree, for you as a leader in the philanthropic community, has growing up in Newark, being a Newark native, influenced and impacted? your leadership approach to the work you do for the people of nork,
3: So Steve, you, you're a Newark native, you know, how protective Norkers are of their city and how much we love the city and particularly um, have been fiercely um, protective of kind of the negative perception that the city has, um, you know, um, garnered over the years. Um, so, I grew up in an environment that was very community focused, very nurturing, um, had a lot of um, love and support from community leaders, nonprofit leaders, um, which I think you know is very common in the city of Newark. And I think with that support and nurturing and mentoring, um, there was also this instilling within young people that um, there was a responsibility, right? Um, once they were in the position to do so, to give back to the community. So I think that ethos really carries through in the leadership role that I play at Prudential. But I think it's quite common um, for for all the civic leaders in the city. This idea that um, when there's a platform and an opportunity that we not only help ourselves, but we also look to make sure that the city continues to strengthen and nurture
0: the next generation. North pride is real. Mary, jump in.
2: Yeah, and Shanae, you're talking a lot about relationship building, the importance of convening. How did that play out throughout the pandemic? Meaning, obviously, there were a lot of challenges. What did that look like in terms of the grit, the resilience that it took for everyone to come together and come out of the other side uh, together as a unit?
3: Well, I would say that, you know, the events during the pandemic, starting with 2020, um, probably were some of the most challenging um, events that many leaders had to face and for us at prudential um, we immediately pivoted to making sure our partners were okay um, we knew that the pandemic would amplify and really magnify um, issues of inequity that we had addressed um, through our philanthropic strategy for decades But there was also an opportunity to raise up those issues, to actually um, work in collaboration with others to provide strategies to address those needs. So for us, it was really making sure we were supporting organizations where residents were getting services um, that they desperately needed. But we also looked holistically, even internally within Prudential. um, How do we make sure the small businesses and vendors that depended on us um, were able to stay afloat? How do we make sure that our tenants um, and many of our properties um, were able to still operate? Um, so it, our, our response to the pandemic went well beyond philanthropy, and I'm really proud to say that the company stepped up, really looking at the things that we could do as a corporate anchor mm-hmm. institution to support this community and make sure that we all got through this okay.
0: You know, Sinead, I want to follow up on this question Mary has asked you. It's a very insightful, complex question, but, but, but it, it causes me to, uh, and I, people are going to notice, uh, we're doing this on Lessons in Leadership. We're also going to try to use this on our public broadcasting platforms as well, because the content is relevant. I ask this question a lot as it relates to COVID. The biggest impact on you as a leader in terms of your approach to leadership three-plus years into the pandemic, biggest change COVID has made on you as leader is? I
3: think it's made me more empathetic. It's made me more intentional about how you connect with people. I mean, one of the biggest shifts um, that we're still adjusting to um, at Prudential is not being in place every day. Um, We have adopted a role or arrangement where um, we are in the workplace for part of the week, but we're also remote. Um, So being able to stay connected with partners um, when you have employees that may be all over the state, all over the United States, requires a different leadership focus. And I think that, you know, the pandemic has allowed me to one, slow down, make sure that we're looking at um, our team holistically, really looking at their needs and making sure they have what they need to care for others. and it requires a different approach to stay connected, um, particularly when um, not everyone is centered in place mm. um, right now.
0: And Mary and I talk a lot about uh, wellness, the wellness leadership connection. And uh, Shanae's all over that right now because wellness is a complex equation. Mary, one more quick question before yeah, we get out of
2: And Steve, you and I share a brain. I was just going to ask about wellness, but more so in the connection to grit, because a lot of people think they're opposite side of a coin, that you can't be well if you're also grit and you're hustling all the time. Talk about the importance of grit and resilience throughout the pandemic. Well, I
3: think we had to channel a lot of resilience, um, you know, and many of us didn't know that we had the level of resilience. Um, um, in us, right, until we were confronted with challenges. I think a couple of things. One, I think to get to resiliency and grit, um, you have to be vulnerable as a leader. Um, There were times when I said, hey, I'm not quite sure how we move forward, um, but we're all going to figure it out uh, because we have to. And that allows folks to lean into um, the problem solving, the creativity, um, and the collective action that is required to, to step forward. And um, vulnerable leadership, authentic leadership, um, acknowledging that this is a learning journey for all of us um, were really important things that we were able to draw on so that we can come up with creative ways, right? Um, to, to meet the needs of, of our constituents um, during this crisis.
0: And as uh, Shanae shares that very honest response, I've often said, I won't get on my soapbox, that being a confident leader does not mean you're not scared, does not mean you're not fearful, does not mean you don't worry about the unknown or the impact of COVID, the economics of it. It means that there's a degree of grit that helps you get through it, even if you are vulnerable. By the way, before I let you go, Shanae, do you believe, as I believe, that there is something to be said. Now, Mary grew up in, I think, Ford's, New Jersey. I'm still yeah. not sure where that is. Oh, stop. <laughs> I, did, I know it's part of the Woodbridge. exactly wood
3: where Ford's is.
2: Thank you, Shanae. That is where I grew up, and Steve always bashes it. Everybody's like, it's I'm Woodbridge. Not it's it. not. It's Ford's.
0: I just don't know where it is. So here's the thing. <laughs> Shanae, are you with me on this, that there's a level of Newark grit that helps us in particularly tough times?
3: Oh, absolutely! I mean, when you think about just how our mayor led, lifting up community voices, um, making sure that you know places in the city were accessible to all, That's using right. arts and culture as a way to um, you know engender hope. Yes, there was a grit, and it was a wonderful thing to see how the community came together, how folks made sure that families and children were were connected. So, yes, I agree. yeah,
0: I, I, I'm sorry. There is North grit. I, I believe in it. I think I have some of it. Shanae's got a lot of it. I'm sure there's Ford's grit. And Mary, share with <laughs> and that. My dad was other-
2: born and raised in Brooklyn. So he instilled oh, the Brooklyn grit. I, that changes me, And that's why between Ford's and Brooklyn, that's me.
0: <laughs> Mary sounds a little defensive to me right now. But Shanae, <laughs> we're going to let you go. Mary and I will talk after. Shanae, thank you so much. And to the team at the Prudential Foundation. Thanks, Shanae.
2: Thank you
3: again. Take care. Great
0: job. Stay with us. Mary from Ford's will be right back after this. <laughs> Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Atabato, and my colleague Mary Gamba has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIA NJ and Commerce Magazine, and Meadowlands Chamber celebrating 50 years of building connections and driving business growth. Most people don't think about where their water comes from. But we do. Veolia. More than water. Resourcing the world. Welcome back to Lessons in Leadership. Steve Adubato with Mary Gamba. We we'll both put our glasses on. Look, I how much...
2: Well, I had a feeling you're either going to have me plug or look in my notes. So without them. <laughs> All
0: right. All right. Do it, Mary. Plug away. Let everybody know. I would know. love to
2: plug away. Well, I would love to thank our sponsors because we would not be here without them. Prager Metis, Cheese New Jersey, Valley Bank. Uh, Seton Hall University and the Basino Leadership Institute, New Jersey Sharing Network, uh, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, the North Ward Center, Veolia, Fedway Associates, and Delta Dental of New Jersey. So thank you so much. And go to our website, stand-deliver.com. You can get free articles, information on Steve's books, and information soon to be up there on Steve's upcoming book that will be out this summer of 2023.
0: And the title is?
2: Lessons in Leadership 2.0, the tough stuff.
0: Let's make sure in post-production, we put in the airbrushed photo of me on the cover and the rest of it, okay?
2: Yes, I will do. Make sure
0: it's brushed very heavily. (laughs) So, hey, Mary, real quick on this. Uh, By the way, Seton Hall University, the Bucino Leadership Institute, I was honored to go and teach a master class on communication and leadership. And hopefully I did not do do too much damage to the students there. (laughs) Um,
2: You didn't make anybody cry this time. So I think that's that's a win.
0: I can't believe you said can we get this out of the way? But I'll do the forge thing in a minute. Um and by the way, is there Ford? is there grit forge grit? Oh,
2: there is. Well, it's so funny when you were talking about grit growing up, there was something, believe it or not, in anyone that's watching, feel free to email me, mary at gmail.com, send me an email. And oh, there was something
0: called—that's great. It's the 21st century. Go ahead.
2: No, I said my Gmail address. And something. No, I know called... you were
0: on AOL. I know. know I know.
2: I know. I still love my AOL. I love it. But there was something <laughs> called the Ford's Gang. The Ford's
0: Gang, and it they were breaking not.
2: into cars. Oh no, it happened. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. A
0: crime spree.
2: Yeah. In- and the biggest news is the Liberty Tavern, it's a local bar and pizza place that my parents used to get pizza from every Thursday night while they were watching Dallas or Dynasty of one of their shows. And my sister and I had to go to bed. They're closing after 74 years. So, well, that sucks. you know, shout out to the Liberty Tavern. I mean, it's just it's great. It's similar to what's that place in Belleville uh, to give them a plug that you like to go to? Isn't it in Belleville?
0: Oh, um, it's at the Belmont
2: Tavern? Belmont Tavern. That's Not,
0: it. Hold on, Mary. Everybody watching, you know the Belmont Tavern, Bloomfield Avenue uh, by the Newark and Belleville borderline. There is no other place like the Belmont Tavern. you they walk have some in,
2: chicken the there that they're famous for, right? That chicken, chicken dish. Savoy.
0: Yes. Chicken Savoy. Stretches Chicken Savoy and to the team there, they are absolutely the best. By the way, no credit cards, only cash, anything on the menu. That's it. Don't ask for things off the menu. Remember the soup Nazi? I don't even like using that word from Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. Way worse than that. Just go by the rules. Don't ask too many questions. I'm just sorry, Mary. It's my old neighborhood. It's the way it was. Yeah. So, different kind of grit in Ford, apparently. So yeah. uh, Mary, real Ford's quick. Ford's with I... an
2: S. <laughs> you said Ford. There's an S.
0: <laughs> oh, sorry. I apologize. I should have more respect for people. For who my hometown. Other... For people with backgrounds other than my own, I should have more appreciation. Mary, real quick before I let you go on this. It's so interesting. Shanae was talking about this. Uh, from Prudential. We work at home a lot. We, we, a lot. We're in the studio a lot like this. We work at home a lot. We talk a lot. To what degree, and Mary goes for a walk every day. I try, I'm trying to walk more and I'm in the gym, which is a gym in our house. It's very quiet. You're alone. Translation. Mary, to what degree do you believe there's a connection between how isolated we are from other people and what's going on for a lot of us? Yeah, it.
2: Just feeling isolated
0: and separated. Yeah,
2: yeah, and I think it depends on the individual, right? I mean, I think there's certain people who can truly thrive not in isolation, right? We're not talking about going in the hole if you're in prison and you go into, you know, segregation or something like that. But I think that there's different people. Some people are more social creatures. My sister is a very social creature. She gets together for lunch with people, dinner for people. Somebody like me and I think somewhat you, I do like a little bit of that, but I enjoy my quiet time. I enjoy my creative time. I enjoy my time walking the dog and actually looking and being awake and aware. Sometimes I feel like we can get too caught up in social media and how many likes and followers and Susan,
0: is social media human interaction?
2: uh, if if used correctly, yes. It can be a very useful tool, but for many people who just sit there endlessly scrolling all day, no, I, I don't think that counts as human interaction.
0: Yeah, you know, this morning, I I told April, our makeup artist, and our 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 camera expert, I was running a little late this morning because I got up early to work out. And I went, before I went into the gym, I got down, I looked at Instagram, and I went to the black hole Mm
3: -hmm. of social
0: media and started looking at video of the most absurd things I'm embarrassed to even talk about. (laughs) Not inappropriate, inappropriate, but... Mary, why do we, do, I know we got to go. Well, I know,
2: you know? we got to go, but I'm following a squirrel video right now. My oldest son is at Michigan State University. And if you really want to just laugh on Instagram, the Michigan State University squirrels have their own Instagram page and they're super friendly. And if you just want some happiness, check it out. And I see Elvin, you said we have to say goodbye. So on.
0: Wow. <laughs> just when I thought Mary was becoming more well-adjusted, she's watching squirrel videos from <laughs> Michigan State. Lessons in leadership. You never know what you're going to learn. Mary Gamba. She's the expert on squirrels. We'll see you next time. (laughs) (laughs) This edition of Lessons in Leadership is made possible by the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, the North Ward Center, the New Jersey Sharing Network, Delta Dental of New Jersey, Fedway Associates Inc., Veolia, Resourcing the World, Choose New Jersey and Seton Hall University, showing the world what great minds can do since 1856.
2: This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to Stand-Deliver.com. That's Stand-Deliver.com.
0: Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Atabato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com. NJBIA and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ and Commerce Magazine, and Meadowlands Chamber, celebrating 50 years of building connections and driving business growth. Most people don't think about where their water comes from, but we do. Veolia, more than water, resourcing the world.